What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mailari. So today I'm going to be giving you guys an MLB special, talking just baseball. I'm going to break down some news within the MLB over the last week or so, and then also give my MLB power rankings, which I'll rank the top 10 teams in the MLB, in my opinion, and then also some teams that are just outside of the top 10. So to start off with MLB news, Fernando Tatis Jr., star shortstop and right fielder for the San Diego Padres, who has been rehabbing from a motorcycle injury he suffered in the offseason, which for a motorcycle injury and most contracts is a provision that does not allow you to be on a motorcycle. So he's been rehabbing from that already. And now after being now in his second year of his 14 year, $340 million contract, he signed just over a year ago. He will now miss the remainder of the season and be ineligible for the 2022 playoffs in the first 42 games of next season due to testing positive for performance enhancing drugs. So with those PEDs, he took, he will now be missing not only the rest of this season, the playoffs, but also 42 games of next season. And now he's also ineligible for the World Baseball Classic as well. So in total between the motorcycle incident, which he missed all of the beginning of this season so far and everything through today, or yesterday is when he was suspended actually. So between the motorcycle incident and the performance enhancing drug situation, Tatis now will miss 210 games between those two things, the incident for the motorcycle and the incident with taking PEDs. He's going to miss 210 games. He signed a 14-year, $340 million extension in February of 2021, played 130 games in 2021, did miss 32 games with a shoulder injury. Then in the 2022 offseason, had the motorcycle accident. In 2022, he will now play zero games due to injury and being suspended for the rest of the season. And 2023, as I said, will miss the first 42 games. Obviously, this is a huge blow for the San Diego Padres franchise, a franchise that has been waiting so long and has been fighting so hard to win, especially over the last year, as you can see how much he traded in getting Juan Soto, which I will be giving you guys my MLB trade deadline recap at some point. Still got to get everything together. A lot of trades. I want to do all the big ones for sure, and then even some of the smaller ones. So still gathering everything to talk about that. But anyways, the Padres did go all in. AJ Prowa, the Padres GM, went all in by trading for Juan Soto. Trading five key players, whether they were farm system prospects, three of them, and then two major league pieces, Luke Voigt and then CJ Abrams, Mackenzie Gore. That's a lot to trade in one trade. A lot. But hey, the Padres are going all in. They want to win. They want to win right now. And if you look at it, Juan Soto just did not hold up his end of the deal for them. And obviously you can tell they're very frustrated by it. Pitcher on the Padres right now, Mike Clevin just said, this is the second time we've been disappointed with them. You hope he grows up and learns from this and learns that it's more than just about him right now. And he's right. He's right. The Padres, as I said, are going all in right now. All in. And Tatis just did not help them out at all with everything that's been going on over the last year. The motorcycle accident, then taking PEDs, and now between those two, we'll miss 210 games. And he's still getting paid. So it's not like he's not getting paid. He's still making his money. But at the end of the day, he needs to realize it is about this team. It's about a franchise that's never won a World Series before. There's a lot on the line for this Padres team, especially considering how much they, how much they traded to get Juan Soto. They traded so much to try to get him. And they landed him. Obviously, it worked out. You get him. But they knew okay, we can have Machado, Soto, and Tatis all hitting a row in the lineup in the playoffs this year, and we'll make a run. And now 
they don't have that. They don't have that, obviously. Now they're going to have to wait till next season to see all three of those guys in the same lineup. So obviously a brutal blow, as I said, for the Padres. And when they went all in trading for Juan Soto, you'd think they were envisioning a lineup with Soto, Machado, and Tatis. But obviously it's not the case now. Uh, Bob Nightingale, MLB reporter, did point out that this could be the curse of Dairy Queen. And what I mean by that is Dairy Queen has commercials with four baseball players, four MLB players. Bryce Hopper of the Philadelphia Phillies has a broken thumb and has been out since June 26th. Tim Anderson, shortstop of the Chicago White Sox, has a broken finger and will be out six weeks. Cody Bellinger of the Los Angeles Dodgers, although he's a former MVP, he is struggling this year, has been struggling now for the last two years or so. He's hitting 210 with a 668 OPS. And Fernando Tatis Jr. suspended for PEDs. So four players, all four of them that are in the Dairy Queen commercial, have all had either injuries that have plagued them this year with Hopper and Anderson, or have been struggling like Bellinger, or will now miss the remainder of the season like Fernando Tatis Jr. So I guess the curse of Dairy Queen is a legitimate thing. Just like the Madden curse, which I know a lot of people have pointed out in the past, the Madden curse, I don't really believe in the Madden curse. As I said before, Odell Beckham Jr. was on Madden and had a great season the following year, so I do not believe in the Madden curse. But who knows? Maybe the Dairy Queen curse is a thing. You never know at the end of the day. But with that being said, though, four players are in the commercials. All four of them have had either injuries, struggled this year, or in Tatis's situation, had off-field issues, whether it's the incident in the motorcycle or it's the incident with taking PEDs. And if you look at it, at the end of the day, the biggest one, the most surprising one, is Tatis. Because... Obviously, injury is going to happen for Bryce Hopper getting hit by a pitch. And then Tim Anderson also having a broken finger as well. Both those guys, they're getting hurt in the game. Bellinger has been struggling now for the last two years or so. So not as big of a surprise with him hitting 210 this year with a 668 OPS. But with Tatis being suspended for PEDs, that's huge. And I know a lot of people see him as a top 5 to 10 player in the major leagues. I probably see him just outside of that, maybe 12 to 15 range in the MLB. But at the end of the day, this is a huge blow for the San Diego Padres, and hopefully they can recover from that and make a nice postseason run since that's a franchise that's been waiting to win now for so long. And they've been going all in. As you can see, the general manager, A.J. Preller, went all in, getting Josh Hader, getting Juan Soto. He wants to win now. Getting Brandon Drury, he wants to win now. And obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr. did not hold up that end of the bargain. So another big piece of news Within the MLB, most importantly, the Red Sox. Red Sox broadcasting icon and Hall of Fame pitcher Dennis Eckersley will retire from broadcasting at the end of this season. This was actually his 20th season working for Nesson, calling Red Sox games. And watching Red Sox games, honestly, would not be the same without him. His vocabulary is unreal, especially considering even when the Red Sox are bad. The 2020 season when the Red Sox were struggling, you would still watch Red Sox games just because of all of his one-liners and his catchphrases. And... Some people call it the actionary, which is something that adds to every single game, no matter the score, as I said. And I'm going to give you guys some examples. So to start off, when he says a pitch has late movement on it, so let's say a slider that has a nice break to it at the end, or a changeup that breaks right as it gets to the plate, he'd say that fastball had some hair on it. Rather than just saying, oh, that was nice late movement, he'll just say it had some hair on it. When there's a strikeout looking, rather than just saying the guy struck out looking, he says a pair of shoes. When he's very confident that something's going to happen, that he would bet everything he had on that outcome becoming true, he says, put the ranch on it. And then also, he calls Alex Spear of the Boston Globe, one of my favorite baseball writers because of how much he 
how much work he does in putting all these numbers together. He's a mathematician. Eckersley calls him Stat Masterson. Great nickname for Alex Bear. So he's not just a broadcasting legend. He was also a great major league pitcher as well. Six-time All-Star selection, 1992 Cy Young and AL MVP. He was 7-1 that year with a 191 ERA with 51 saves in 1992. He played eight years with the Red Sox between two different stints, nine years with the Oakland A's, three years with Cleveland, two years with St. Louis, and was a 1989 World Series champion with the Oakland A's. He will be a major loss for the Red Sox games. Whoever's covering the games now, they have not announced who will be taking over that role. Maybe Kevin Euclid gets more games in the booth. But at the end of the day, whoever takes over for him, which I love Euclid, I've been a big fan of him always since he was a Red Sox, and I like him in the booth as well, no one's going to have as much personality and add as much laughter and comedy to the game that Dennis Eckersley did, and wishing him nothing but the best of luck in his retirement from broadcasting. So next up, the biggest storyline was obviously the Tatis suspension, and then obviously Eckersley one was more just a Red Sox uh, news line. Now I'm going to give you guys some other things, some other happenings across the MLB. To start off, the Yankees have been struggling as of late. Heading into last night, they were 1-7, now 1-8 since the trade deadline. And heading into last night's loss to the Red Sox, they've scored 4.1 runs per game since the trade deadline heading into last night. So that's not bad. But they've hit just 229 with a 5.39 starting ERA and a 4.28 bullpen ERA since the trade deadline heading into last night. So their biggest issue isn't even the scoring runs. I know they're hitting 229, which isn't great as a team, but 4.1 runs per game, you should be able to win more games than just one in your last nine games. They have a 5.32 starting ERA and a 4.28 bullpen ERA in the last eight games heading into last night. And that's their biggest issue is pitching right now, which I'm going to break down a little more when I give my MLB power rankings. Next up, the Dodgers swept the Padres. After trading for Juan Soto, you'd think the Dodgers would be a tad bit nervous or a tad bit afraid, but they were not that at all. They were far from, actually, and they were raking off the Padres, swept them, as I said, and... The Dodgers, I think, the best team in baseball. I'm going to break down a little bit more about them, so I'm going to save some stats for when I'm breaking down my power rankings. But they've been on an absolute run. Next up, more Red Sox news. Red Sox ace Chris Sale will miss the remainder of the 2022 season after falling off a bicycle and breaking his wrist. He was throwing last Saturday at Boston College since it was a concert at Fenway. The Red Sox in the Boston College Eagles, the BC baseball team, allows them to play at BC's field and use the facilities when the Red Sox can't let the players use Fenway Park. So if there's a concert or an event at Fenway, BC opens up the doors and lets the Red Sox players go there to work out or play or practice. And Chris Sale was there last Saturday. And afterwards, he was on his bike and supposedly tripped over a hill and fractured his right wrist. I guess it wasn't after he was immediately at BC. He must have got a ride home or got lunch or something. So it must have been later on in the afternoon that day. But regardless, he will miss the remainder of the season now. He took a line drive off the bat of Aaron Hicks just over a month or so ago now and fractured his pinky. And now will miss the remainder of the season with that broken or fractured wrist. Despite thinking he would make it back at some point, he did say after getting that line drive back in his hand, he would be back at some point this season. But at the end of the day, he will not be back now. Huge loss for that Red Sox pitching staff. And if you look at it, he's just not had any luck after signing that extension just over a few years ago now. So now for my MLB power rankings. 
Number one, starting off, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are 78-33 and on the year. They've won 11 straight games, have a 17-3 record in the last 20 games, a 26-4 and record in the last 30, which is the best record in the MLB in all three of those splits. The last 10 games, 10-0. and Last 20 games, 17-3. And 26-4 and in the last 30 games. All three of those, they have the best record in all of those splits. They've been averaging 5.4 runs per game, which is the most in the MLB, 3.2 runs per game allowed, which is the lowest in the MLB, and they just swept the San Francisco Giants in a four-game series, the San Diego Padres in a three-game series, and have now won 11 in a row, as I said. They're 18-3 since the All-Star break, outscoring opponents 135-63. to They're 31-5 since July 1st, which is remarkable. They were 21-5 in July, 10-0 in August. And they've outscored opponents in August 71 to 25. Absolutely dominant. Outscoring opponents 71 to 25 in August. And if you look at it, the Dodgers had six all star selections for a reason. They are absolutely stacked. Heading into Thursday, they had a 118 and 44 record. 118 and 44 record over the last 162 games played heading into Thursday, which is the greatest 162 game stretch by any MLB team in the expansion era in MLB history, according to Blake Harris, who covers the Dodgers. They were 118 wins and 44 losses in their last 162 games heading into Thursday, which, as I said, is the greatest 162-game stretch by any MLB team in the expansion era. They have been so hot as of late, and they're the number one team in baseball. Honestly, rightfully so. You can't make an argument. No other team is better than them. I think the Mets are right there behind them, but I don't think the Mets are better than them. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball, and I don't even think there's an argument. They have Dustin May, and this is with all these numbers I said. 11-0 in their last 11 games, winning 11 straight, 17-3 in the last 20, 26-4 in the last 30. With all that being said, they've had three huge missing pieces to their pitching staff. To start off, Dustin May. He will make one more AAA appearance before returning to the Dodgers rotation. Hopefully in the next week after missing the last year with Tommy John surgery. So they've been missing him. Next up, they've also been missing their ace, Walker Bueller. He's been battling an elbow injury and will miss just about another month or so. He will return, hopefully, their pitching staff in mid to late September. And then Clayton Kershaw, another ace on their pitching staff, has been battling a back injury recently and supposedly is going to miss the next two to four weeks, according to Dodgers manager Dave Roberts. They've been so hot without three key starting pitches. And obviously, they've had great hitting. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Justin Turner. Cody Bellinger's batting ninth in that lineup. I know he's hitting 210 on the year, but he's batting ninth. The former All-Star in MVP batting ninth. Former NL MVP is batting ninth in that lineup, or eighth in that lineup every given night. That's how stacked they are. And I fail to mention, Joey Gallo, who they traded for just over a week or so ago now, they traded him at the trade deadline. He's hitting 256 with them in about seven games, I think. 256, which the Yankees would take that all day since he was hitting the 160s with them. Joey Gallo has been hitting great for them, 256 to take all day. They got Gavin Lux, Trey Turner, I forgot to mention, hitting about 310 on the year. They have such a stacked lineup. And even without their three top starting pitches, who Bueller, obviously Kershaw will be their top two, and who knows, maybe May will probably be the back end of the rotation since he's coming back for Tommy John I don't know if they're gonna put too much strenuous pitching on him and make him pitch you know seven or eight innings I doubt that's gonna happen so we're gonna go four or five innings for you know first three or four starts but just imagine that team with those three guys all healthy hopefully within the next month 
They're going to be very scary to play come October. Next up, in second place, in my power rankings, I got the New York Mets, 73-40 and 40 on the year, 15-5 in the last 20 games played since the All-Star break, 21-9 in their last 30, and 9-3 and in August. They actually have the second-best record in the last 10 games, 20 games, and 30 games, behind the Dodgers in all three of those splits. They took 4-5 or five against the Braves in the past week, who is another top-10 team in my power rankings. The Mets are actually tied for the third-best run differential in the MLB with the 1.1 run differential per game, plus 1.1 runs per game run differential, which is very impressive. And the talk of the Mets this year is how great Edwin Diaz has been. One of the best pitchers in baseball all year this year with a 2-1 record, a 1-3-6 ERA, and 26 saves on the year. 93 strikeouts to 12 walks and 46 in the third innings pitched. He's allowed only one earned run, one earned run since May 25th. He has zero earned runs since June 19th. In his last 19 appearances since June 19th, he's allowed zero earned runs, has a zero ERA, and 40 strikeouts to one walk in 19 innings pitched. 40 strikeouts to one walk in 19 innings pitched in his last 19 appearances. With a 109 opponent batting average and a 136 opponent on base percentage. He has been playing out of his mind. And this Mets team has been hitting... They're stride at the right time. They've been dominant. They've been dominant. In any other season, they'd be the number one team right now in my power rankings. It's just the Dodgers have been so dominant. You can't not have the Dodgers as your number one team right now. But the Mets, but the Mets, they got what it takes to win. They got good pitching. They got the hitting. They got the defense. They're very solid all around. And as you could tell, having a solid guy as your eighth inning or ninth inning piece, which is so valuable as you can tell, by the Yankees struggling, their bullpen has been awful over the last eight games. The Red Sox have struggled all year because the bullpen can't close out games. I mean, their starting pitch hasn't been great either. But an eighth inning or ninth inning guy that's reliable is one of the most important pieces to a winning team. And the Mets have that right now. Edwin Diaz and Adam Ottavino. Both have been having good years. Obviously, Ottavino a good year. Elite year for Edwin Diaz. And now looking at Ottavino, 5-2 record on the year with a 2-2 ERA and 45 games played, 45 innings pitched, 53 strikeouts, a 1-0-2-2 whip. So as you can tell, having a great 8th inning setup guy in Ottavino and then Edwin Diaz as your closer, that's unreal. And I'd love for the Red Sox to have that. I mean, they really don't have either an 8th inning guy or a closer. So next up. My team in third in my power rankings, the Houston Astros, 73-41 and 41 on the year, 11-9 in the last 20, 18-12 in the last 30, 19-12 on the year in one-run games. That's really where they get an advantage. They play very well in close games. They got Lance McCullers coming back to the rotation today after coming off an injury. Should be a good piece to their rotation. Verland has been unreal all year. Probably the Cy Young winner right now. He's 15-3. and three. On the mound with a 1.85 ERA, 15 wins, 3 losses, a 1.85 ERA in 21 games played, 134 strikeouts and 136 innings pitched. And he's got an elite whip, which whip is walks in, hits allowed per inning pitched. He has a .86 whip on the season. So that means he allows less than one base runner per inning pitched, which is unreal. Has average 8.9 strikeouts per 9 innings pitched and just 1.6 walks. Per nine innings pitched on the year. Has been dominant, as I said. A 185 ERA, which is the best in the MLB right now among starting pitches. 
And honestly, this has been his best season since 2018. He won the Cy Young in 2019 with a 258 ERA, 21-6 record on the mound with 300 strikeouts and 223 innings pitched. He was second in Cy Young voting in 2018 with a 16-9 record and a 252 ERA. And then 2017, he was 5-0 after being traded to the Houston Astros from the Detroit Tigers with a 106 ERA. So ever since going to the Astros, he's been a very good pitcher. I mean, in his career for the Astros, has a career 2-3-2 ERA with a 58-win to 18-loss record. 58 wins, 18 losses. That's elite 2-3-2 ERA, as I said, with 774 strikeouts and 613 innings pitched to 109 walks in those 613 innings pitched. He's been elite, dominant since being traded to the Astros, but I think this is his best season since he's never had... A season with an ERA under two. His best ERA on a season was 2-4. And that was 2011. He has a 1.85 ERA this year. After coming off Tommy John surgery. Which he got in 2020. And missed the whole entire 2021 season. And missed the whole entire 2020 season. Besides one game. When he got Tommy John right after it. He's only played one game between 2020 and 2021. And he's had his best season. 15-3 record. With a 1.85 ERA. And 21 starts. With 134 strikeouts and 136 innings pitched. He's had the best record of the major leagues. 15 wins is the best in the major leagues right now. Is the best ERA. But he's had his best season of his whole entire career this year. He's been dominant. He's been unreal this year. And obviously, he's the favorite to win the Cy Young right now. With good reason, as you can tell by all those numbers. After coming off Tommy John surgery. And keep in mind, he's 39 years old. 39 years old, 15-3 record with a 1.85 ERA, has the most wins in baseball, the best ERA in baseball, and also has had the best season of his career. Next up is the New York Yankees at fourth, 71-42 on the year. Since the Joey Gallo trade, the Yankees are 1-8, while the Dodgers are 9-0. So maybe there's a Joey Gallo effect with the Dodgers being 9-0 since trading for him and the Yankees being 1-8. And I know he wasn't helping much out there, but hey, maybe at the end of the day, change of scenery can help a guy and maybe help a team. And obviously the Dodgers are 9-0, the Yankees are 1-8. So maybe he helped in the clubhouse more than people thought. Because sometimes at the end of the day, you trade a guy that's a fan favorite or a clubhouse favorite, and that can have an impact on the team. Not sure what happened there with the Yankees, but they're 1-8 since trading Joey Gallo to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Yankees are 2-8 in their last 10, 7-13 in their last 20, and 11-19 in the last 30 games played. They have a 7-14 record since the All-Star break, scoring 96 runs and allowing 92 runs, so just a plus-four run differential since the All-Star break, and their specialty has been scoring runs. I know a lot of their runs have come off home runs, and if the Yankees don't hit home runs, they're a lot more beatable of a team than people think, and maybe that's their struggle right now. They're not getting enough power, maybe, because they've only outscored teams by four runs since the All-Star break. And another struggle for the Yankees has been their bullpen and their starting ERA, which I mentioned at the beginning of this episode in their last 10 games. But one big piece of their bullpen that has helped them early in the season and now has been struggling of late, Clay Holmes. He's been getting hit around a ton lately. And for Yankees bullpen that lost Michael King for the year as well, the Yankees needed Clay Holmes to be great for the rest of the year, and that's just not been the case. Holmes since the start of July... In 14 appearances, has 13 strikeouts to 11 walks and 12 and a third innings pitched with 11 earned runs, a 250 opponent batting average, and a 438 opponent on base percentage with an 803 ERA in his last 14 appearances since the start of July 
with five hit batsmen as well. He's been awful. And the Yankees have been struggling now in their last 30 games. So this isn't just something new for the Yankees. Me putting them at fourth, honestly, might be higher than I honestly wanted to put them. I only put them fourth because of their record overall in the year 71-42. But if we're talking about of late, I don't even know if they're a top five team. They'd probably be outside of that, probably sixth or seventh, just based off potential and how well they played on the year overall. Because as of late, they're not a top five team in the last 10, 20 games in baseball. The Yankees in the last 30 games have an 11-19 and 19 record in the last 30 games. And if you look at the AL East over the last 30 games, the Orioles have the best record in the AL East over the last 30 games with a 21-9 and nine record. The Blue Jays are 16-14. and 14. The Rays are 14-16. And, and the Sox and Yankees are both 11-19. The Yankees are 7-13 and 13 in the last 20 games, 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games, and 11-19 and 19 in the last 30 games. They've been struggling as of late. They've been struggling now for a month. And honestly, they need something to pick them up. Because they've been honestly playing horrible baseball, especially considering how hot they were at the beginning of the year. Next up, I got the St. Louis Cardinals, 62 and 50 on the year with an 8 and 2 record in the last 10 games, 14 and 6 in their last 20, and 18 and 12 in their last 30. They're actually tied for the second best record in the MLB in the last 10 and 20 games. They are first in the NL Central, one and a half games up on the Milwaukee Brewers. They've been led on the year by Nolan Arenado, 25 home runs, a 303 batting average, and then Paul Goldschmidt who's heavy favorite right now for the NL MVP, 331 batting average with 28 home runs. They've been playing great baseballs of late, 14-6 and six in their last 20 and 18-12 and in their last 30. Next up, the Atlanta Braves, 67-46 and 46 on the year. And heading into yesterday's contest, they were 41-19 and 19 since June 3rd, which was the second best record in the MLB over that stretch. They are 5-5 five and five in their last 10, though, 11-9 and nine in their last 20, and 18-12 and 12 in their last 30. They are 11-8 and eight since the All-Star break, so not as good as what they were doing before the All-Star break, but 41-19 and 19 since June 3rd, heading into yesterday. Very impressive. Next up, the Philadelphia Phillies, and honestly, I had this episode ready to go, I think, on Monday or Tuesday. When the MLB put out their power rankings, I got the idea from them, and I said, oh, I want to do power rankings. I had the Phillies at 7th. The MLB didn't have them on there at all. And I know now if people are doing power rankings that have the Phillies on there in the top 10, and the MLB would as well on Monday, they, they will probably have it in the next couple days. But the Phillies were a top 10 team, in my opinion, before Monday when the MLB Network put out their top 10 teams in baseball. So I had them at 7th before. I still have them at 7th. 63-49 on the year. And I know that may be a surprise pick to some, especially having them at 7th. But I think they're set up for a huge playoff run. With Bryce Hopper returning from an injury, a thumb injury that he suffered in June, he'll be back at some point in September. The Phillies, though, without him, a 26-14 and 14 since he went down. They were two and a half games out of a wild card spot when he got hurt, and now we're in sole possession of the second wild card spot. And our half game up the Padres, who are actually in third, they have the third wild card spot. So they're half game up on the Padres, they have the second wild card spot, the Padres have the third. They have the fourth best record, and that's the Phillies. The Phillies have the fourth best record in the MLB over the stretch since Bryce Hopper got hurt. The Dodgers, Astros, and Mariners are the only teams with better records, and the Phillies, since that stretch, have the fifth most home runs in the major leagues. And at one point, Reese Hoskins had home runs in four straight games. They had 14 home runs in a series sweep of the Nationals last week, which was actually the most home runs for the Philadelphia Phillies in a single series. 
in franchise history. 14 home runs in a single series was the most, and they did that last week against the Washington Nationals. Their previous high was 13, which they did versus the Chicago Cubs last year. The Phillies are 42-20 since June 1st, 41-20 since June 3rd when Ron Thompson took over as the manager in replacement of Joe Girardi, who they fired. They have the third best record in baseball since firing Joe Girardi since June 3rd. And one funny fact I found online was that the Phillies had a 54-47 record in 1980, 2008, and 2022. And in 1980 and 2008, both of those seasons, when they had a 54 and 47 record, they won the World Series in both of those years. And this year, they had a 54 and 47 record at one point. So who knows if this is the year? And my original World Series prediction when I was at BC was Red Sox Phillies. But I don't think the Red Sox really have a chance of getting to the World Series as of now. But who knows? Maybe they heat up. But the Phillies do have a chance right now. They're 14 and 6 since the All Star break. And Dave Dombrowski, the GM of the Phillies, has found ways to win everywhere he goes. And hopefully they make a nice playoff run. Wish and luck to them since obviously I had them in my predictions and I've always kind of liked the Phillies. So rooting for them to make a nice deep playoff run. Eighth, I have the San Diego Padres, 64-51 and record. They actually had a 23-inning scoreless stretch over the last week at one point. They were outscored 28-7 to in a five-game stretch and were 0-5 in that five-game stretch. And in that five-game stretch, they had a 23-inning scoreless streak. And Juan Soto suited up for them on August 3rd. And after that, their next five games since he suited up, since the day they suited up in the next four games, they were 0-5 and were outscored by 21 runs. Were outscored 28-7 to in that five-game stretch and were scoreless in their last 23 innings of that first five-game stretch for Juan Soto as a Padre. They've now won three games in a row, so they could be heating up again. But obviously, with Tatis being suspended... That could definitely dampen their hopes for a huge playoff run. But they still have a great team and a great lineup, so you never know what could happen. But obviously, Tatis is a big loss. In ninth, they got the Seattle Mariners, 62-52 and 52 on the year, 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, 20-10 and 10 in their last 30. Since the All-Star break, they are 11-19. and 19. And going into the All-Star break, they actually had a 14-game win streak. And my prediction was that after the All-Star break, their momentum would be killed. Since they were so hot before, 14 straight games, then I thought about it, I said, going into the All-Star break is kind of the worst scenario for the Seattle Mariners, since now their momentum is killed. And obviously, they've been struggling since the end of the All-Star break, since the start of the second half of the season, an 11-10 and record over that 21-game stretch since the All-Star break, which isn't bad, still over 500, but obviously not winning 14 games in a row. They were swept by Houston right after the All-Star break. Lost three out of four to them a week or so later. And they are one and six against the Houston Astros after the All-Star break. Before the All-Star break, it would have been a different story. But one and six after the All-Star break. So obviously, in that 11-10 and 10 record since the All-Star break, they did play the Astros seven times. And they are my third best team in baseball. So not an easy team to face. And in 10th, might be a surprise to many. And I'm putting them 10th because I'm a big fan of them this season. And I love the direction of this franchise. The Baltimore Orioles. And it might be a surprise to some, and I'm fine with that. I have them as 10th, and I think they honestly deserve it. 59-53 and 53 record on the year. Yes, they are in my top 10 again. I contemplate putting them at the 11th spot as just outside of the top 10 as my first team out. But they deserve to be recognized, honestly. Which have been playing well all season long, and I've been pointing them out all season for their exceptional play. And at one point, it was just, oh... They have a great record. They have a positive record in a month. I think it was May. They had their first winning month. 
at one point this season. I think it was in May or June. And I pointed that out in the podcast said, wow, they're really making progress as a franchise. And I've been pointing them out now every single episode just about when I'm talking baseball. And they deserve it. They're one game out of the last wild card spot in the AL. And I honestly think they're, an ex- they're in for an exciting finish for the end of this season. They're in it for the wild card sweepstakes. And no matter what happens... The direction of this franchise is up, and they're doing great in building this franchise, especially considering their their payroll, the lowest payroll in the major leagues by far. $29 million at one point was their payroll, and it's probably even lower now after trading Trey Mancini, who's making $7 million. It's ridiculous, though, considering this team has the lowest payroll in baseball, and they've been playing so well as of late. They're my 10th team in my power rankings. As I said, they're a half game out of the third wild card spot, 21-9 in their last 30 games played, which is tied to the second-best record in baseball of that stretch. And since July 3rd, the Dodgers are the only team with more wins than the Baltimore Orioles. They deserve to be a top-10 team, the 10th in my list. So just outside, I have the Milwaukee Brewers, 60-51 and 51 on the year, 3-7 and seven in the last 10, 10-10 10 10 in the last 20, and 14-16 and 16 in the last 30. They have not been a good baseball team over the last month. That's the reason I have them outside of the top 10. Another team just outside of the top 10, and honestly could have been in the top 10, the Cleveland Guardians, 62-50 and 50 on the year, 8-2 in their last 10, 14-6 and 6 in their last 20, and 18-12 and 12 in their last 30. Honestly, I take them over the Brewers right now, so the Guardians... Technically, my first team out, I guess, now that I think about it. 62-50 and 50 on the year, 8-2 and two in their last 10, and 14-6 and six in their last 20. They've been heating up just at the right time, and hopefully they keep that up, since Terry Francona is their manager, always wishing him nothing but the best. Red Sox legend there. Next up, just outside, Toronto Blue Jays, 16-51 on the year, 4-6 and six in their last 10, not playing great baseballs of late. And my last team, just outside, is the Minnesota Twins not playing great baseball as of late either? Five and five in their last ten, nine and eleven in their last twenty, and thirteen and seventeen in their last thirty. With that being said, though, they are only one and a half games out of first in the AL Central behind the Cleveland Guardians. So they're still set up well to hopefully get hot over the next month or so and make a nice playoff push. So now to update you guys on the World Baseball Classic. Joining Trevor Story and Mike Trout on Team USA will be Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. JT Ramudo and Bryce Hopper. In my dream lineup, before they announced the players that were going to be playing in the World Baseball Classic before guys started committing, my dream lineup was Will Smith at catcher, Freddie Freeman at first base. He will be playing actually for Team Canada. I know he's done that in the past. Second base, Trevor Story. He will be playing shortstop, Trey Turner. Third base, Nolan Arenado. Left field, Mookie Betts. Center field, Mike Trout. He will be playing right field, Aaron Judge. In DH, Bryce Hopper, who will be playing as well. And then also my backups were Byron Buxton, Pete Alonzo, Paul Goldschmidt, who will be playing, Tim Anderson, JT Ramudo, and Cedric Mullins. So of those guys that I named, Freddie Freeman will be playing for Team Canada, but Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, Mike Trout, Bryce Hopper, Paul Goldschmidt, and JT Ramudo, all those guys are in my dream lineup, and every one of those guys will be playing for Team USA in the World Baseball Classic next March. So the last thing I want to mention, Dylan Cease, of the White Sox has been pitching unreal as of late. He's allowed zero or one earned run in every start since May 29th. 
14 starts over that stretch, allowing just six earned runs with a .66 ERA, the third lowest in a 14-game stretch in MLB history, has an 8-3 record over those 14 games with a 172 opponent batting average, 11.3 strikeouts per nine innings pitched in his last 14 starts, and 103 strikeouts in 82 innings pitched since May 29th. He's been on quite a run. I don't think it's enough, obviously, for him to make a case to be the AL Cy Young winner. I think Justin Verlander has that locked up, but something very interesting to watch over his next few starts. Hopefully he keeps pitching well and maybe breaks the MLB record for lowest ERA over a 15 to 16 game stretch. But who knows? I know I did just say Verlander is the favorite to win the AL Cy Young. But hey, Dylan Cease, let's say Verlander has a bad second half. Dylan Cease is 12-5 on the year with a 196 ERA and 174 strikeouts and 128 and two-thirds innings pitched with 55 walks. And he actually has the best strikeout per nine inning rate in the MLB. 12.2 strikeouts per nine innings pitched. He led the MLB last year in that stat as well with 12.3 strikeouts per nine innings pitched. And he actually led the MLB in game started last year with 32. He's in the lead right now with 23 starts and has a 1.96 ERA. So who knows? Maybe it'll make for an interesting last month or two of the season to see who wins AL Cy Young. But as of now, my pick is Justin Verlander. So that concludes this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. I hope you guys have a good one. Hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you as always. And see you guys next time. Thank you.